Think about this as, as going on a vacation and you and you land in Rome and you're sitting in the Coliseum and you have a pair of glasses on, normal glasses. Let's say they're normal God, looking right. glasses, right? Versus <laughs> the first version of what we had as connected glasses. And all of a sudden, what is what is historical at this point, and you can see the age on the Coliseum, all of a sudden gets overlaid with people, something happening in the center of it, and all of a sudden you're living an experience that's mixed reality. So today I am speaking with leading edge and technology innovator, thought leader, evangelist, and a serial entrepreneur who I also can call a friend, Jeff Schmidt, CEO of ECI, the dominant provider of managed services into the alternative financial services industry. So Jeff, today we're going to have an, a fascinating conversation. I've asked you to explore with me here today, um, workforce transformation, the fourth industrial revolution, and what it's like to live in a powerful home with two CEOs and, you know, kind of how that works on a day-to-day basis. So thank you so much for uh, sharing some of your time here with us today. Thank you, Michelle. I, I hope it's I, I hope it's intriguing in the conversation too. Some of my most fondest memories are on a big wheel as a little kid. Aww. So I love the name on this. I'm trying to figure out how to make those for adults. I understand that they do have some. So um, let's have some fun today. I hope it's I hope it it helps answer maybe some questions, and uh, it's beneficial to you and your listeners as well. Thank you. I have a feeling that it will be. So Jeff, just before we get started, if you don't mind talking to everyone just a little bit about ECI and a little bit about your own journey and what it is that you do. Sure. So ECI is a managed service provider, meaning that we provide IT services from the ground up. So think things like cloud, data modeling, AI, security, but bundling those together so that you don't have to think of them as separate pieces. Same way that you would buy a car, everything is built into to what you're being given at the time of purchase. And our focus market is today is really the alternative financial market. So typically private equity, hedge funds, heavy governance and compliance, because that drives the, the state of what we provide for our customers, those cloud services, the applications in the cloud, being able to bring things together like new innovation, co-pilot within Microsoft, the um, theme of Ella, which is our large language application that allows these industries to be able to, to do data modeling and, and a, in a secure guardrail guideline that meets these SEC requirements for them as well. So the, the business is, is you know across the globe. Um, again, you, you could probably pick most of the markets that we're in from Asia to Europe to US um, are the primary markets that we're in today. Um, we are north of the border as well in Canada. And so um, and it's a growing market. We have you know, 800 employees across the globe. Uh, wonderful pedigree. It's you know almost three decades of, of doing this. Our founder, um, which is which is really rare in a lot of cases, is still on the is still the chairman of the board, John Kahaley. And so it's just really a unique place to be. Um, headquartered out of Boston. I spent a lot of time in New York, so you would think Northeast is a heavy market as well. Um, and that's that's what I've been doing now for the last six months um, and taking a, kind of a step back on my career, which 
oddly started in technology. I was, you know, maybe I'll give you a little bit of a blip on that as well. Um, so I started playing baseball. Um, I got hurt. My parents gave me a choice back to college or get a job. And I'd spent, I think, two and a half years in junior college. So I was really accelerating through junior college, my two-year degree. And I decided <laughs> I'd go jump, I'd, I'd go jump off into doing something. Now in college, I did three things that I that three things, two, three things, two of them I loved, one of them I hated. I took uh I took computers, ones and zeros. I hated it. Um, two, legal. And then I found out you had to be in school and take tests on a regular basis throughout your entire career. I was like, that's not for me. Probably not going to do that. And architecture, which I really love, but, but I was told you can't really make money at architecture unless you're in big building <laughs> design and what you're doing. And I have all the things that I love that was really passionate for me. So here I am, you know, 30 years later in technology, what I found is that in the ones and zeros, there are other things that, that go along those lines. And what I found myself in was really the infrastructure side and automating human behavior and what I was doing, even back in the late 90s, of automating and, and removing human thought process from uh, how the system worked, how you would create reports and other things, and allowing the system to do that for you. So early on, automation, which gave me access to everything in the environment, I had access to all the data files, the systems, HR records, and so as I went through, I was like, hey, if this does this, maybe it does this. And then I would go sit with the security people and say, we probably need to like tighten this up because it's not only me that has this, but everybody does. And, you know, if you fast forward from financial institution where I started to motion picture industry in Hollywood, where I got my second chance in doing a very similar thing, business continuity, disaster recovery mm -hmm. between New York and Hollywood which is a really fun job, but it became really boring because I did a lot of the work and then there wasn't a lot of pressure and innovation happening on that side other than doing GL and financials for movie releases um, to the insurance industry in Northern California. And that was really the time of where everything started to change. It was the advent of distributed systems. So computers were coming into play, not just mainframes and AS400s. Um, we were starting to distribute computers on everybody's desktop. Networks were changing. Today, we deal with one network protocol called TCP IP. But back then, you had IPX SPX, you had Banyan Vines, you had Apple Talk, you had SNA and TCP IP. So a network was you know, pretty much unsafe at any speed back then. Um, so if you think about that, and, and that was where I got introduced into networking, something I knew nothing about. Um, <laughs> but I was like, hey, this security thing seems like a great place to go into because we're going to open up everything and business continuity and disaster recovery. So I I kind of weaseled my way maybe into that or, <laughs> or, or I faked it till I made it um, going into that. And, and, and that was where I started into the cybersecurity arena of really looking at environments, how people did things, simple things back then, which was, you know, do you lock your computer when you walk away from your desk? Do you take mm -hmm. that green bar paper, which maybe a lot of people on this call won't remember, um, but they're <laughs> just tossing it into a trash can. And it's like, that has account information on it that's going into a trash can. <laughs> um, to where I'm at today through the startup industry, which I started in 1996 in the middle of the dot-com hype. Um, and I was introduced and got a great opportunity with um, Don McKinney and John Drew and a company called International Network Services. And I've been addicted to startup entrepreneurship ever since then. And, uh, you know, what I can say through my entire career, um, I've been around awesome people who, who have put me and taken me underneath their wings. Um, I've worked hard. Um, 
you know, I spent the extra time. I was reading IBM manuals in my first job to try and figure out what things meant and why they did what they did. Really boring. Um, but I was like, I have, I have to do this. And maybe not finishing college was, was really the critical point of me working harder and trying to learn faster. Um, and also finding a passion in what I wanted to do, which is what I couldn't find in college was the passion of something that really fit my style. And so here I am from, I guess, 1988, 89 to sitting here today. Um, and, you know, and like I said, it's, it's just great people who've taken me underneath their wings, taught, educated me, given me opportunities, taken a risk, uh, betting on, you know, some of the things even at 22 year old, 22 year old doing data center moves, backing up data for a billion dollar financial institution and moving data centers to disaster recovery. Um, I think back, I think I'm like, did they really trust me? Like I could barely <laughs> like tie my shoes at that point in time. So, so to all those people who have actually, you know, played a part in my career to even grabbing me and telling me like, Hey, this is how you dress in a business environment. These are things wow. you should think about. Um, there are many people who have blessed me during my career, um, colleagues, peers, managers, um, HR people, et cetera, who are willing to take bold moves to kind of grab me by my ear every once in a while and be like, Hey, if you want this, these are the things that you have to be acceptable to. And, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm extremely blessed to be in the position I'm in today. That's just fantastic. And, you know, I, I hear multiple lessons just in that you know, explanation you gave in the overview of your career, but a couple of things I'm thinking about my young adult daughters, you know, who are in their very early twenties. One is, is newly out of college. The other one, not yet actually did drop out after year one and is trying to figure it out. Um, it's about your passion, your path, but it is going to take hard work and some introspection. And the fact that you were willing to even get people or people were willing to take that chance on you, you have to know that it has to be because Jeff of something that you had to offer as well. And for leaders, I'm just thinking about, you know, there's a stereotype, you know, a little bit, sometimes less so in the technical world, but the stereotype around perhaps your education and what's required, but what is really required. And it's interesting because my perspective is I would much rather have someone that uh, can learn and is a great cultural fit and, you know, understands like what our mission and vision is rather than the one that had, you know, the perfect pedigree background, if you will. Not that I don't appreciate that. I have an MBA. I am all about education. I went through an exec program, but I learned to acknowledge and understand both and how they can enrich the workplace. Yeah. So. I, I I think that's you're a lot smarter than me, by the way. But there's no, know. there's no way, there's no way. Um, look, the the one thing that I know about myself is repetitive. Repetitive situations are boring to me, and so even back when I would do construction, it was how fast can I go do this and can I make it better? Like there's there's a certain amount of gamification in almost anything that mm -hmm. I do, which is which is hey, can I be the best at digging a trench? Can I be the best at doing demolition? Yeah. And it's and it's and it's against it's me against myself of time. Hey, if it takes me this long to go do this, can I beat this time? I almost feel like the guy in uh Christmas story. How fast can I take the tire <laughs> off and put it back on? Time me. Right. So it's appropriate timing since we're in December, but there's there's a portion of repetitive processes. And I think some of the things we talk about today will will branch off of this is why are we doing repetitive process? Right. Mm -hmm. What yep. what's what's the learning experience in this? So if you really want to learn, 
that it's the next advancement of where you go from. And while education is important, education can be self-taught. It can be learned from other people. It can be learned by day-to-day stuff. If you have that desire, and the one thing I think is most important is never stop learning, right? Yes. And it's, it's always looking for that. And I think you have to be willing to hear things that aren't necessarily always endearing. Mm-hmm. Um, criticism is hard. And, you know, it, it's something that even to this day, you know, <laughs> I'm like, I'll take constructive feedback. I'm not always going to like it. My team knows <laughs> that on a regular basis. I'm, I'm like, okay, this is going to be really hard to hear, but you need to hear it. And, and so, you know, it's working through those things as an individual also. And I think in the environment we're in where we have a lot of disconnect from face-to-face behavior, and as we talk about the modern workplace, you can't say the same things the same way over this type of conversation as you sometimes can do face-to-face. As much as we want it to be personal, we're still missing an aspect of the human situation and interchange. And so it is important to to be able to create that in the world we're in. Social networking is a one-way typical, a one-way, give me a heart, give me a like, Yeah, what's going on. But being able to reflect and take in that constructive criticism is, is it allows you to think about it. You don't have to, you don't have to digest it as truth, but if you understand the perception that sometimes people have, it allows you to mature and change the things about you. And understanding how somebody it's almost the five love languages but it's the five languages of how do i communicate and talk to somebody in a way that they can receive it just as much as i want people to communicate in a way that i can receive it the same way so um there's a bigger piece here in the world that we're in right which is which is hopefully also training people who are future leaders in organizations that have the same values the same desires the same want and desire to train others as the same people did with me, which was the willingness to, to do really uncomfortable things. Cause I know now, cause I've had to do some of them, you know, somebody who sat down with me and said, Hey, you know, about the way you dress, you know, this is, this is Miami vice time is you're not Don Johnson. And maybe when you come to the bank, you could wear a white shirt, maybe a tie every once in a while and some slacks and some nice shoes instead of loafers and some khaki pants and a, and a, and a Miami vice half, you know, half worn shirt that looks like you haven't ironed it in like five weeks. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, maybe. <laughs> right. And so, and I, and, and I remember going out that night and, and I, I had no money, right. I'm a young, young kid. Yeah. Just got married, had a baby. And I'm at a Florsham shoes with a credit card going like, <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to pay for these shoes, but I'm getting wingtips. And then off to Marshall's and buying some new shirts and some t-shirts and some slacks and I like, I didn't even know that you were supposed to like take slacks to a dry cleaner at that time <laughs> in my life. So I think I ruined my first set by putting them inside the washer, but you know, you learn through these experiences and, and, and I think there's some things that go along with it. You know, do, you know, is it as important today to dress that way? I don't know, but if you can fit into the environment somehow yeah, and, and bring your personality to work, but yeah. also in a way that, that makes it accepting for the rest of people that it's inclusive to the environment that you're a part of, but also understanding is that you want to have that, that presentation capability of there's more to me, which is internal sometimes requires you to externally also put that presentation on in front of you. 
Boy, that's extremely well said. And I would, you know, sometimes say to my daughter, I hate to be dissing my kids because they're so wonderful, but my younger one, she'd be getting ready for like a family dinner and a lot of people. And I'm like, look at you. You look better when you go to the mall. Said, but mom, I'm going out with my friends. I'm like, okay, brush your hair and put on a decent sweater. Pretend that we're your friends. You know, <laughs> it's like, and she's grown out of that. It was in her teenage years, but yeah, that's pretty well said. So and, and I, and there's, there's a portion of that too, which is, you know, look, the, I remember Bruce Schneier, who's who's fairly well known in the security industry, was talking about security and how things work and how yeah. the younger generation doesn't care as much about security. And he said, he said, we really care about security. He goes, they'll win because we'll die. So oh, there's also a portion that through the generations <laughs> is that there is a blend in here that is reasonable, right? Do we need yeah. to wear ties to work? Probably not. Do we need to wear suits every single day? I don't know. Maybe when it's really important. Um but when I'm around somebody who's who's got that business look and feel, there is something that's that's just really kind of like, wow. Yeah. Like they have it, like like there is something to looking at somebody who's polished and coming into an environment. Like they gain my attention when they walk into the room. And maybe that's perception, maybe it's reality, but there's just something to that. And then you can flip over and say, Well, you know, Mark Zuckerberg walks in with a hoodie and a sweatshirt, and you probably have the same. Like, yeah, I know who he is, right? He has right. an established demeanor of who he is. Um, um, John Hope um, yep. here in Atlanta, right? John Hope Bryant. Um, I love listening to him. And when he's like, I mean, there's there's something about him when he's sitting in front of people and he's commanding the room on what he does. It's like, it's just, it just draws you into his message and what he's doing. So there's, there's just these interesting pieces that are there. But something that we, you know, we've got to figure out the face to face, though, I just think it's so important. Um, mm. And again, blended, you know, we're always on, you know, it's a blended right. life that we live, right? You know, your hours aren't typically eight to five. They're, they're from when you get up in the morning to when you go to bed, you don't know when a bad email is going to come in, we're checking things and looking at it. But it also gives us a balance of freedom on both sides, right? So you're, as much as you're tethered, you also can, can untether and be focused on family and know that, hey, I can come back to this. And so also learning how to set aside the right times. Um, the world we live in gives a lot more balance than you're gone from eight to five and then back home, right? right? Yes. Eight to five in the in the 70s and 80s meant you were gone. There was no contact to you. You know, if you were a salesperson, you know, you were, you know, you were gone. You were out. Maybe you get a, maybe you had a pager in the eighties. Right. Yep. Yeah. But, but we're not talking until the, you know, the early nineties before anybody even had a cell phone. Um, That's right. So, yep. so it's kind of funny. Like, I don't know if you watch old shows at all, but you know, we watch Hunter every once in a while or Rockford files. And sometimes I think it's like, I like older shows. Yeah. yeah. How nice it <laughs> must've been sometimes to be older. untethered. Just to, right. Agreed. Yeah. I don't know where my mobile phone is half the time because I, and I don't have, so people say to me, good for you. Whenever I tell them, they'll say, did you see on Facebook? And I say, I'm not on Facebook. And they say, good for you. And I mean, part of me says good for me. Part of me says, oh, I wish I was a little more connected, but I, I'm just not going to go there. It's just my choice. But I also cannot wear that Apple phone, the, the, the phone. I just... I don't know. I feel so connected. However, I love Jeff that I don't have to pull out my laptop and I can even be, you know, like waiting in line somewhere or who knows what I'm doing. And I'm keeping up with my email 
right? I'm like getting stuff done. So I don't feel that extra pressure, believe it or not. I mean, it, you're right. It's, it's, I think, a matter of how we work in this new 5G virtual world that we're going to talk about, you know, to how we have the right balance, because there's certainly benefits. Um, so I want to first just talk about, I want to segue into the fourth industrial revolution. It's amazing to me because, okay, so first of all, when I was looking up, you know, our, our in, the history of industrial revolution, and I did go along with, um, I, I looked up, um, you sent me some information to, to consider because there were, it's kind of odd how people um, and different organizations kind of define previous, you know, industrial right. revolutions. But if we're, you know, pretty clear about it, it's steam and water production, right? Late 1700s. It's going to be about 100 years later, let's call it, with, you know, electricity. So we had mechanical production, and now we're moving into mass production with electricity and division of labor. To about 100 years later, we're in like 1969 with electronics and getting some more automation and mechanical um, work in there. And then, you know, let's talk about it wasn't its own revolution, but we had the internet in 2000. And now here we are in this, what we're calling the fourth revolution, which to be clear, 1969 to today, or you could even argue as early as 2000, it's not that much time. So the first observation that I had is like, holy moly, the revolutions are happening a little faster. Let's talk about what it is. And then some of the you know, just before we get into all of that, I think we're going to spend a lot of time here. Just also um, the impact on humans, because like I had a, a painful experience with my dad on the phone today when he was really frustrated driving to um, City Hall because he was a, a, a retired firefighter. And, you know, he was trying to figure out for next year how his benefits are, you know, he's being notified of what they are because they told him he had to download an app. And he's like, I don't, I don't do that. Right. I'm not getting cards any longer. So just simple things like that. Right. That's creating a strangeness, but I think, or just, you know, just some conflict across the ages, if you will, different demographics. But anyway, let's talk about what uh, the fourth revolution is, how you would define it and kind of, you know, what's happening. Um, and what we think is happening over the next decade or so. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you started with, and I'm sorry to hear about your father. This this is an interesting yeah. piece, right? Because we're moving at an extremely rapid pace, right? So yeah. if you if you look at industrial revolutions over time, they're widening gaps. And if you think about the transformation, it wasn't this incredible, like, like, quick journey, right? It was a journey over time where it allowed humans to adapt to, to yeah. new things, new ideas. They weren't immediately ready, readily available to everybody, right? So even airline flight, right? Wasn't an immediate thing where everybody was flying overnight, right? The ability to fly was there, but not everybody had the need to go do that. Mm -hmm. And so um, if you if you think what to like the, the mid nineties, we really expose the internet, right? That was really the advent of, of distributed systems and, and bringing in high-speed internet, which I think was, you know, megabits at like 10, I remember like getting eight or nine megabits. And I was like, wow, this is so fast, <laughs> right? 
<laughs> and and you know if you aol.com and netscape yeah. right? and you started going back to you think i was like this was how the internet really started you know to get into public hands and then mid 2000s all of a sudden you know you had treos you had palm pilots which became the next advent you had android phones and then all of a sudden you know you had you know this which is you know the the iphone came into existence and steve jobs i i think if i if i get i'll probably butcher this but he said you know i'm, I'm announcing three things today an internet an internet device a music player and a phone i think is what he said right and then he introduced like all the capabilities in one device i'm introducing the iphone and that trigger was all of a sudden is like like the app store and things that were there, right? And all of a sudden it was this beginning of an always on aspect. And at that time I was working for some of the telecom providers and they said, you know, look, is our phone calls are actually declining, but our data usage is going up and it's and it's incrementally at a much larger and faster pace than than what wow. we believe. So if you and then you think, well, MySpace to Facebook to Snapchat to Instagram to all these social media applications that are out there today, right? And then you have this injection, even with my children. If I think about my oldest daughter <clears throat> down to my youngest daughter and my son who's in between, each one of them had a different experience, right? Mm -hmm. The the youngest was loading floppy disks into a computer to get an application to run. Um the oldest, sorry, the, sorry, the oldest was doing that. The youngest first computer was a phone, right? And the middle one was kind of in between, but you can see the differences in how they interact with, with the systems and applications and always on. So the youngest always on. The oldest was sometimes on, sometimes off. Mm -hmm. um, the oldest understands 45 cents a minute off peak phone calls versus 90 cents a minute on peak, right? And getting charged for text messages. So, so that's, I mean, that's only 20, somewhere, somewhere less than 20 years ago, two decades ago, right? And now everything all of a sudden is sitting on a phone, right? We didn't, we didn't, we didn't acclimate a social responsibility around what it really meant to have likes dislikes thumbs up thumbs down um a child my oldest being able to come home from school and shut off the outside world in high school my youngest never being able to shut it off yeah right and so the psychological and human behavior pieces in this in this this revolution that we're going through while there are so many great things about it right like and i remember one of my security friends a guy named jim tiller said everything that is used for good will also be used for bad and so so this always on aspect has both sides to it right and now if you fast forward to where we are today right data modeling ai other things that are coming into existence is they've been birthed so there really isn't a go backwards situation just like social networking we can't go backwards in social networking it's it's out it exists unless everybody's willing to turn it off which um, for those listening, if we're willing to go take that on, I would love to just say we're just going to shut off social networking and media news for two months, <laughs> see who survives, and then maybe we get back to some normality in, in our lives of what's going on. But but if you look at if you if you look at where we're heading, right, is is AI and other things present itself into 
some really great things that it can do for us of, of data and interpretation of data at a much faster pace with the right guardrails and guidelines put around it. That said, is that same tool is out there for everybody in the world to use. Not everybody has the same values that each of us do individually or that we do as culture and community that we are a part of. And so there has to be some purpose understanding of how we go utilize these things and how we put those guardrails and guidelines in place and then figure out how to mature the technology in a way that we can use it for good and get the best out of it. And so an example of that and where I think we're heading with this revolution, and again, the speed at which we're going to do will keep half-lifing, mm-hmm. right? As, as I think that's the part that really, and, and there was in the 80s, somebody came to me and said, like, we're going to half-life at a point where humans can't keep up with technology. One of the things I'm happy about from my perspective is like, I enjoy technology, like I eat it up. And so, you know, Jan always makes fun of me with, I don't read fiction, everything I read is business books or technology. She's like, do you ever read fiction? And I'm like, I just can't get into it. I remember being on vacation. I'm like, I can't read this book. Like we just need <laughs> something that's about technology. And so, but, but if you think about where we're going to, right, is the world we're entering into is imagine every scientist that's ever published a paper on cancer research, being able to fit, to be fed into a data, a data model, and being able to go through and say, give me all of the similarities between all of these that are here that are positive and negative impacts and, and collate that, collate that in a way that I can, that I can ingest it. You're talking probably billions, maybe trillions of, of lines of documents that are out there, but being able to parse that in milliseconds and being able to produce and pump out something that all of a sudden it's like, I don't have to read all this research. I can get the data and information that are most pertinent pieces that allow me then just take the next step, the next generation of where I want to go to. Um, maybe more real life would be is that 18,000 page bill that's going through and from a, I don't want to like, like I'll limit the political side of this, but 18,000 <laughs> page bill, I don't have to read it. I can actually, I, I can ask AIs, give me the most pertinent pieces to give me, give me all of the pertinent pieces that are in this, break it down to bullet points and tell me which ones, which ones I need to probably be most concerned about based on how I think and the things that are here and the way that I've trained the model. Because remember, you have to train the model, right? Mm-hmm. So it isn't like you can turn on AI and all of a sudden you have access to everything. You're training the model by giving it data over time. The machine is learning through that of how to go get the data and go get the information. But I still have to have it in a repository. I still have to train it to be able to do the information, to, to get the information, collate it, and then bring it back to me in a format that's there. And then I have to still use my brain to think about, hey, is that really the right information? So I can also then ask more questions of, let me go through and parse this a little bit more to make sure it's the right one. Give me countering opinions to what's here. So the ability to spend more time on thoughtful process to be able to use my brain on things like there isn't necessarily a benefit to reading an 18,000 page document mm-hmm. to get seven points that are maybe sitting inside of it that are like, what are the real, what, what does this really contain and what's being asked for in this bill? If I can break that down to five pages worth of bullet points and information, I can then go direct myself of like, I know this is good. I know I support this. I support this, but I don't support these three things here. Give me contrary views to these things here. Maybe a different way of doing this. So maybe it helps us get to a better decision into, into the outcome that we all want versus an outcome that somebody who wrote it was looking for, or maybe didn't even think they were doing. So right. 
so this this world that we're entering into, I think, is very different. You know, electric cars, um, very interesting, right? Is how do we go solve the problem of of grid management? Um, how do we solve the problem of somebody who lives in New York and who's trying to park a truck inside a garage that doesn't have the the capabilities or the facilities to be able to charge a car? You know, can we have robots that go around and actually go plug into cars while they're there? Right. So there's there's lots of things that come into play of, of like this 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 world that we're living in is massively opportunistic for us if we bring it in and we harness the things that are good in it versus, you know, I think of my parents, I think of my grandparents talking about different things, computers at the beginning, I mentioned to you as we were kind of pre pre gaming was, was Mr. Whipple, the twilight zone yeah. and, and computers. And it's there, there's a certain portion of like, we worry, worrying about it. Isn't going to fix it. Let's go. Let's, let's, let's take it head on. Right. Let's charge into it about what are the good things like? What's the benefit for mankind? What are the things that we can go do with this data and information? And then what could possibly go wrong? Maybe in the words of Mad, um, I forget the guy's name of Mad of on the Mad cover that was always there. But, oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Wasn't he the one? I said, what could possibly go wrong? Yes. So, so, um, but but if you think about it from from that perspective, right, is let's then understand that and let's put the guardrails around that right as a car by itself is 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 really dangerous but if you put the right controls the right security controls in it brakes and airbags and speed controls and you know whatever else seat belts we can make it safe for others to use but we have to make sure that that environment and that ecosystem exists for us to work out of so what is it i i think I know. Let's talk. Let's give this fourth uh, revolution a name for people that aren't familiar with it. <laughs> Insanity. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard it called um, the cyber physical industrial revolution, which, you know, it's still a bit of a question mark, right? Um, I don't really know what what it'll really be called, but basically I think what we're talking about is the evolution of technology, but being so prevalent in how we live and work and interact as a society, the prevalence of that, it's unbelievable. Um, Yeah. Maybe it's mixed reality in the world that we live in. Reality. That's interesting. So, I mean, and and if you think about that, right, is, is it's, it's a combination of both Mm -hmm. the physical and the virtual worlds being, being blended together. Um, I was, I'm, I work with a company invested in a company called Mimic and they do overlays into, into physical worlds. So they can put like a dancer into, or a mascot next to you and take pictures of the mascot sitting next to you (laughs) dancing around. But if you think about, I mean, think about this as as going on a vacation and you and you land in Rome and you're sitting in the Coliseum and you have a pair of glasses on, normal glasses, let's say they're normal looking glasses, right? Versus (laughs) the first version of what we had as connected glasses. And all of a sudden, what is what is historical at this point, and you can see the age on the Coliseum, all of a sudden gets overlaid with people something happening in the center of it. And all of a sudden you're living an experience that's mixed reality where that, you know, the Romans are there, there's warriors in the middle of the ring. 
<laughs> and, and, you're, and you're sitting there live and, and, and we've, we've overlaid this with, with you seeing this and there's people next to you as you look around, you know, what's like, like being able to experience history in that way would, to me would be really, really interesting. Right. Where all of a sudden is your, your trip to Rome is very different. It's immersive and there's a curated, there's a curated way of, of bringing you into the fold of history that you will never forget. Um, wow. So, so there's like, like there's some interesting things that go along with this. And again, data modeling and data information becomes critical to the right curated ex, you know, experience of what you do or, you know, going down a street in Paris and, and, and you're, you're walking down a street, but it, you're like, I want to see what this looked like in 1927 or 1800s. Right. And so like, if you think about that experience from a, from an out of body almost experiences is even in the world that we that we travel in you know things could become very interesting in this in this mixed reality world but all by data right it's all it's you have to have the right data to be able to curate the response that you're looking for to create the experience that we want to have you're making me think of the matrix and I'm getting a little nervous. So I just don't want to end up, you know, like waking up and I'm plugged into a machine that, <laughs> that I'm giving it life. I don't know. Well, anyway. so, so let's, so let's, let's, let's play off of that. Right. Is, as you think about the exoskeletons and, and things that are being made today. Yeah. Right. And taking somebody who has, who hasn't walked or who has had a traumatic injury that's, that's left them unable to walk or to use hands and then being able to, to not only give them the skeleton, but also help train the body, train the muscle memory. So every person that would go through that, you could, you could, you could get that data and those information points, feed it back in. You can teach the brain faster than maybe the human can teach it on its own to start to learn the, the muscle memories, like which muscles need to be learned the fastest to be able to stand up, right? Wow. How do we exercise those muscles? So, so there are some interesting pieces here that if you, you know, when you talk about, you know, in the machine are things that we hopefully going into the future will be things that are offered as opportunity to individuals, to the world that we live in today that again, allow people to, to, to have experiences that they desire, right? So you can choose, but, you know, I always think as, as you know, I, I watched this guy, it was X prize. I think it was called X prize or it was um, a bunch of companies put into it. And, and I remember this, this gentleman who had been, he had a, he had a disease of some type or a genetic issue where he, where he lost his vision in his teenage years and became blind. And they went through him climbing Mount Everest, if I'm correct, the right mountain. And and part of this was to help blind people see again. And I remember they had this computer on his back that was fairly large. And somehow in his mouth, there was like a bite implant that would generate the messages of what he was seeing to his brain. And by the and mm -hmm. he went through how he could see black and white cards. I'm assuming today that that technology is far advanced beyond where that was from size, what it is, and the ability to move through. And again, the ability of of if you think somebody said like Henry Ford creating a car when he did to creating it in like the nineties, he could have done it like in a week, some, something to that effect. Wow. 
So the expediency of being able to reduce size to be able to change the way that we think and what we do is incredible. And then if you think of things like 5G and what's happening, I was watching, yeah. uh, watching the SEC championship. Um, go dogs, kind of. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So hope, hopefully you have a large Georgia yeah. base. Um, just disappointing into that game, but um, I think probably appropriate that Brock Bauer and uh, and Makaki get like a break and get ready for their professional careers. So uh, <laughs> but that's but great game and 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 two really great teams playing one another. But it, but they're, during the show they were showing how AT and T five G now for a deaf player and I never thought about this can generate plays on a screen above their eye of what the play is so because wow. they can't hear on the field. So I never thought about, gosh, in a sport, how important it is to be able to hear. And you can feed plays into a helmet that enables somebody to know what's happening where they don't have to hear the voices around them. And like all of a sudden is, is you've opened up the ability for people to participate in something that maybe they couldn't before or couldn't perform at their peak performance at the same level through what we have today. And so the evolution of where we end up at from a human perspective, I think is really great as well. Like there's like, so all these great things that we can in this industrial revolution that we're in, when we talk about mixed reality, we talk about immersive, this, this immersive experience mm-hmm. curated for the individual curated for the specific situation, or maybe the user story that we're trying to generate becomes very interesting into problems that we'll be able to solve over the next five to 10 years. I absolutely love it. And I think it's really fascinating. So if I think about going to Europe or India, you know, I'm still going to have my feet on the street. I'm still going to go visit Gandhi's resting place. You know, I did. But if you think about how you could augment that with something else, you know, the one thing that I worry about for younger people and that you're starting to read about, not even younger people, but people of all ages, maybe more introverted the, the thing that um, concerns me, I guess, is, and maybe it's, maybe I shouldn't be concerned and I need to open my mind, but the, the idea that um, the technology can actually replace a human connection. So examples, examples of apps that are out there now, you know, that you can have a virtual girlfriend or boyfriend and someone that can talk to you and I remember reading some stories recently. There was a, a there's a guy who has a night job and he said, I talked to her all night. He's not talking to her. He's talking to a machine. So I like those things I worry about, like the introvert. And I also worry about, you know, um, it, does it create a place where people can live in their own world at home and never venture into the real world? And is there a downside to that? I don't know. But, you know, those are like the things that concern me. Um, I even think about it with my kids, right? So we made, uh, we make a concerted effort, you know, to play outside. Um, I make a concerted effort that there are no phones at the dinner table. It's really easy to say, who was in that movie? Hey, Siri, who was in, you know, the holiday or whatever. Um, but, but I think you got to use your brain to help you with that. Although at work and productivity, we're talking about something different. But, you know, on the personal level, just tell me a little bit about what your thoughts are on the the good and the bad and, you know, the ugly and pretty. So, so I think there are people who are way smarter than I am who who have given this a lot of thought, right? And, and so Waz, who was one of the original Apple 
uh, creators next to Steve Jobs has a lot of thoughts around around this. I always always have a little sense of hesitation of what are you what are you building on your own um, and trying to catch up to. I think the answer is the answer in this. If you if you go back right, and I remember Coca Cola and an incubator I was in in Atlanta, and they said in their marketing in their marketing analysis, and they have a massive marketing team, right? Mm-hmm. That's then they said Coke was Coca Cola is like the number two word known by everybody next to high. Mm-hmm. I think it was. So so it's wow. like. Right. So and, and so if you think about a powerful marketing company, they said that the generation in 2015, I think we said, I think they said millennials, not to not to put somebody in a specific class, but may I'll say the social media class, right? Had got more of an experience out of posting something than they did actually being in the moment of what they were doing. Right. So so I I you know, look, I think there's warranted social issues that we have to think about of what we're creating right you know my parents worried about digital gaming right you're sitting in front of that digital gaming you're not out playing baseball anymore you're playing i think it's activision right and i i I really want to go back and show something like how crappy the graphics were at that point in time right who could ever get addicted to this but i mean but but you have you have this blend of of there's always something that's going to introduce the tv right are you going to spend all your time in front of the tv and so we have to put, I think we have to think about the social pieces and there has to be a social responsibility out of what we're building, right? Um, there are people who spend all their time and like, I don't have to get married. I can go on a dating app and just date with people and just, you know, just kind of live my life and that's okay, right? We are going to advance. And so part of this is the hesitation doesn't, the hesitation won't stop where we're going. Somebody's going to go take this and continue moving forward on it. So the question is, is, how do we put the right social guardrails around this that we don't or we find ways to minimize people becoming so intrigued by the machine that that's where they want to live? Yeah. And now that's my opinion. There are other people who are like, hey, if I want to live inside the machine, I can live inside the machine. If I want an electronic girlfriend, that's what I should be able to have. You know, there's, you know, there's, there's, I mean, and if you, if you go back to even in, if you go back and research that from a male perspective over the last decade with the internet, I think we'd find that there's already, that that already exists. The question is, is what's the, what's the reality and the experience that somebody has versus what's the next experience? It's probably not any different than in the 60s of of living in a a a paper environment and living in the same experience you just didn't have the chance to be in a virtual reality you were in a physical world providing you that same experience that same relationship where the mind was able to be bent in a way that that it was able to have that relationship in a way that didn't make sense whether that's through pictures it's through magazines it's through tv Right. So is it different? Yes. But is it different from a standpoint of the social part of it versus the other? I can see the one piece, but I can't necessarily see the piece today. So I I think that we have I think we as as humans have a responsibility maybe to make sure people don't get lost in the machine. Um, And there is a concern that the world we live in and I'll start with social networking, because I, I just think the advent of it has been so accelerated so accelerated in a way that that it's it's candy for the brain 
um, you know, the, the movie on the social network where you go through and you think about this, right, is that reaction of, of what happens, the ability to, in a split second, send a response to, hey, I posted something and I want likes on it. Even this video, right? Somebody's going to go look at it and say, how many, how many thumbs up do I have? How many likes do I have? How many shares do I have? How many insightfuls do I have? How many of this do I have? Right. And all those. And it's like, does that make you feel good? Does that make you feel better about it? If nobody responded to it, but everybody watched it, but you didn't know. Would you get the same joy out of it? Right. And and so, you know, I'll go in, I'll look at it. Right. I'll be like, how many, <laughs> likes? How many people said like Jeff's full of, you know, hooey. Um, right. <laughs> so so but but as you as you go through, right, it's, it's like there's this feedback and this instantaneous response to your brain is these things weren't built without the intent or a way to start to look at how we react or how it sucks you into the environment. I mean, I, I pulled up, I'll pull up LinkedIn, LinkedIn when I don't have something to do and I'll find myself sometimes lost in articles over 30 minutes. Oh, I know. Just like that. Right. Yeah. And so, and then I'm like, okay, what did I learn from it? And where am I going to, or am I just kind of following a pattern as I'm going through? So mm-hmm. remember is, is the back end of it knows how to feed based on curated response to how you browse what you do. So I think you have, I think you have a right to ask the question um, and to be and a right to be concerned about what happens with us, because we do as, as humans have a responsibility to the world that we live in today of, of not putting something out there that's dangerous to the environments that we're in. And, you know, from a personal perspective, I think, Part of that is, is again, the importance when we talk about work life, when we talk about school, when we talk about face-to-face, when we talk about interacting with humans one-to-one, there's an importance of the balance of, like you said, going outside to play, right? Yeah. You know, and I think in your, I think it was, it was probably 2005, four or five, um, there, was a, there was an internet tool that allowed you to wipe out all of your all of your social media accounts. And I think there were only three or four at that time that were active, right? Now, if you count oh, that yeah. number, right? Mm-hmm. So 16 years later, how many are actually there? But, and the tagline was, it's a new year, go out inside and beat your friends, right? Um, but it was trying to get people off of this social networking and then Facebook and others were like, they shut it down, right? The lawyers got involved and said, you can't go delete accounts. You can't do this automatically. But they had found a way to go through and just get rid of, any essence in any of these applications that you ever existed inside of them. Wow. So, so you know, look, is is in, and the internet's not going anywhere. Connectivity isn't going anywhere. So we have to we have to build the right the right education. The and I don't want to say controls because I think controls I, I think controls can be used for good and for bad. Mm-hmm. The right education, and we need to continue to get people to have better thought. Right. When we talked about the benefits of things like AI, without a human brain in the middle of it, using their 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 ability to think, to have critical thinking and what they do, not just to accept a return. Like, like if like if you put in to a calculator, it said two times two and it came back with five. Right. Critical thinking says like, hold on a second, that doesn't sound right. Right? It's a prime number, right? Like in my head, this isn't matching, yeah. right? 
Like, like how does this work, right? And and so that ability to critical think around something is, let me ask another question. Same way a child does when, when they're like, mom, you know, why is the sky blue? Because it's blue. But why is right. it blue, right? So as we have to be more inquisitive as well and not accept the return of data to us as 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 the gospel that that's what it is we should question anything that's being presented to us as numbers and data as the models will be imperfect because the models are created by man created by computer created by the data models that we put in and so no different than an excel spreadsheet could have an error somewhere in it right we run data models and, and this goes back to the 80s as well as excel when Excel was introduced or starting to be introduced, when we were moving off of like these, I'll call them lame platforms that would do, you could do a budget once or twice. That was like, that's, that's as much time as you had because you had to feed all your data in. So I said, well, there's this new thing that's coming out, which I forget what it was called originally, but these data sheets that would be put online. And we're going to be able to do this in like half the time that we've been doing it in. And somebody said, no, we'll just do it 20 times rather than doing it twice. Right. So what do we do now? We run data models, run it this way, run it that way, run it that way. Right. Same thing with AI, right, is we'll run those data models, you know, ad nauseum to try and figure out what makes sense. Run the IRR, run the IR against this, run the IR against the average inside the marketplace. Go out, run an IR against this company versus this company. So but I still have to validate the data, the information that's coming back. So I think the truth has to be curated by ourselves and what we're looking for. And we have to be willing to ask not only the question that we're we're not we have to ask the question, but when we get the answer, we have to make sure that we're that we're vetting the answer against the belief in the answer we want to hear versus the answer, the best answer and the right answer that we're really looking for. So you have to be able to ask both, right? When I talk to my children, um, um, this this no longer a kid, young man that we've mentored over time, because he'll send me messages. What do you think about this? And I used to always say, it's like, well, here's what I think about it. Here's my opinion, right? And now my question is, is I'm, I'm like, I, I'm like, short basis is here's my opinion, but you should go research this. Tell me your opinion. He gives me his. And I said, I'm going to go research it. And then we're going to come back and we're going to have a conversation about it. And those conversations are awesome, right? So, so because, yeah. because when we talk about it and, and Quan and I are sitting on, on the back deck and, and just talking about some, some issue, something that's popped up, it's fascinating to get his generational view on things against my old man on the porch. Hey, kids, get off my lawn. And, and it's, I learn, right. I'm, I'm learning from him, his views and thought process, but he's also learning like, Hey, here's the alternative op opinion to what I believe. Here's some of my ideas wrapped around what's being said here. And as well, I can do the same thing. It's like, Hey, I didn't think about it from this view. Because my life doesn't have the same views as you. I haven't had the same experiences as you. So therefore, my curated response to myself is one that's based on my experiences, my life that's gotten me to here. I get his and we can blend those together and have this really interesting conversation to, we don't always agree, but we usually find middle ground somewhere. And there's like, well, maybe if we worked on it this way and this way and this way, we actually get there. I think that's really interesting because uh, that was going to be one of my questions, which is how do we figure out, you know, what's the truth? And I think that we have to continuously question what we see um, and have discussions with others and their experiences and kind of sift through that. It's interesting. My daughter, um, my younger daughter said to me just last week, 
said, oh, mom, I, I asked her about a certain event, something that was going on. She's like, mom, I don't really quite know. I just shut off stuff for a, a hot minute because I don't even know what's true anymore. You know, so but I, I can argue with her, too. But if you're relying on TikTok, that's probably not what you need to be worried about anyway. But, you know, <laughs> anyway. Well, so it's interesting, right? Again, it depends on on. And again, there's some great TED Talks on, yes. on this as yep. well, right? So filter bubble, right? In, in, the social, in the social networking world that we live in, right? I'm going to define the filter bubble. Like, give me your persona, just like we do in sales, right? Right. Tell, yep. tell me the persona, the person that I'm going to sell to. And then I'm going to create an echo chamber. We'll call that nurturing in the marketing world, right? And what I'm going to do is I'm going to nurture you with the information to get you to buy whatever I'm going to come up to you and go sell because I know that you have a need. I know that this, this fits the persona, if it's persona, your company. So the same things that we've done in selling, right? We're utilizing in the world that we live in. So the contrary view is, am I willing to go ask the question in reverse before I make the decision or I implant that into my brain. Um, I remember my daughter went to a college in California. It was a Christian university. And we went to, we went to the, the kickoff um, and the dean of the school got up in front and said, we're, you know, this is the school, this is the tenets of our belief, but we're going to teach your kids to question everything because if they don't question and they blindly just follow what they believe, then the tenets of that aren't going to survive. Mm. And so at the risk of, of, of why do I believe this is really important to create either I do believe it or I don't believe it. If I don't believe it, then I need to do more research on what that is, right? But, but we shouldn't blindly just follow, yeah. right, what that is. And I think this is part of, part of this discussion is this, and I, I remember my first my first presentation that I it's probably my second presentation I did off of the internet. And I'm sitting in a room and I had all these stats about internet and what was going on and cybersecurity and the need for it. It wasn't even called cybersecurity back then. It was just called security, right? And there were firewalls, firewalls you put into yeah. network environments. And you know, that was basically it, pre-Wi-Fi, right? And I put these stats up and there was a room full of like 20 people. And somebody says, hey, where'd you get those stats? I'm like, I got them off the internet. And the room erupts in laughter. There's nothing <laughs> true on the internet, right? That was their message. There's nothing that is true on the internet. <laughs> the internet is full of lies. Like, like just throw those stats out. And I'm like, I'm like, but I want to believe in the internet, which was this first point, which is validate everything Interesting. That you're going to go get, right? Now we have more trusted sources today that are on the internet, right? This is, you know, again, mid nineties. Right. But you didn't have Forbes, but, but again, individuals and weighing those out. And again, this is where things like AI can become really important. Give me a contrary yeah. view, right. Prop development, which is and and it's, it's interesting is like even things maybe curating, curating the right response can be is give me an alternative response to this. Give me the view of this from, from a teenager from a teenager's view who is whatever, right? And you can create a little bit of it and give me that view that would typically come back, right? So you can give the persona maybe of what a standard response might be to something like that, right? Whatever you're looking for, but that ability again to give viewpoints or give me an article that's written by somebody 
who's under the age of 40 hmm. on this topic, right? Give me all of the articles, but just summarize it into four bullet points for me of what the common themes are about this. So again, right, as the educational pieces get very interesting of being able to, to, to collate a lot of different ideas into a response, but it still requires a human on the other side to vet it, to validate it, to mature the idea, to then making that decision. No different, again, back to, you know, your bread and butter, which is, I would never just say, hey, this is your ideal client profile. Here's what you sell. Here's what they tend to be buying. I'm going to go test that. I'm going to go test that that, yep. that that thesis has to be tested before it becomes a theory, right? And there's a plan A and there's a plan B. And we're going to go vet that data and where it's going to. And until I do those things, I'm not necessarily, I'm, I'm committed to the destination where we're going to, but there's a plan A and there's a plan B. And we're going to verify that information and that data to even the conversation. Again, the pregame, which is, you know, we're doing that today is give me, give me a company that looks like this, who's buying five of our services today. And then give me the companies that are, that are currently in our portfolio of clients who aren't buying all these services. And what are the factors that maybe look different about these organizations and our buyer personas? And then that should give me a sales strategy to go talk to them. Right. So there's, there's a very interesting way or a new logo that we haven't talked to before, right? And so why, why would they buy from us versus somebody else? What's our pedigree when we come to market? Why do you come and have that conversation? With what are the motivating factors to you? So again, the, the, you know, blending in and out of business to personal still requires a human to, to look at it and say, mm -hmm. yeah, I think that actually makes sense to me. You know, we should go do that, right? And you know, no, I guess recipes, you know, like how to make chocolate chip cookies. I like that recipe better than that recipe. There's probably a gazillion, you know, recipes, right. for chocolate chip but we all pick one that we think is our special recipe that we love to do because of, for some reason, right? So human choice at the end of the day still has to be the one to, to generate the outcome of what we're looking for. We should put humans wrapped around and i certainly wouldn't allow a machine to make the no, no different than my autonomous car where i'm sitting behind the wheel is my hands are on the wheel because i don't want the car to make decisions without me checking it and it isn't that i don't trust the car it's that i trust myself more than i trust the car i want to be i want i want the ability in the way that it's built is i have the ability to intervene on behalf of anything i haven't given complete control to the machine so it does, on the other hand, make it really nice on a long drive to not be as stressed out, especially when there's traffic, to be able to allow the car to do what doesn't require my brain to go start, stop, start, stop, especially in Atlanta. So six o'clock traffic, <laughs> it's like, okay, you know, I'm just going to let the car, I'm going to let the car move me in traffic with what it is. Yeah. That's in front of me. The car's like, whatever. I'm a car. I don't have, I don't have an emotion on this. I'm not going to honk at anybody. So nobody's gonna get mad at me. It's like, it's like, and I'm just like, okay, I'm just gonna let it do its thing, right? Is I'm gonna pretend like my hands are on the wheel. I still have ability to take over, but I'm not gonna get stressed out about the situation that I'm in. The car is gonna go do what it's gonna go do. And I'll get to where I'm gonna get to two or three minutes difference, depending on me driving or it driving. Hey, it's Michelle. Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoy our podcast and know someone who you believe would make a great guest, I would love to hear from you. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn and let's talk. I'd love to hear your feedback. And as always, may it inspire you in your own personal and professional journey of life.